give me one second. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined by Kyle Porter. Kyle, it's good to hear from you, but um, having trouble hearing you over uh, the music I'm just playing on a loop for the next week. That sounds How a lot. That sounds a lot more buttery than my voice right now. Your voice is not uh, as as uh, soft and sweet as, as that music. No. What, what but, if uh, I was? We're gonna power the, through. What if I was Jim Nance right now? What 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 if Jim Nance had like lost his voice at this time of year? What would happen? Would they? He can- would be. Would they cancel the Masters? I don't know, but I think he would have <laughs> a team working day and night on him. He would have like six people just gathered around him injecting him with with stuff with drinking hunt, <laughs> drinking honey tea you know he'd he'd be doing all the remedies and uh i don't know maybe they would do like a, a players only type thing like the nba does and let faldo call the action i don't know how that would go <laughs> yeah Which I, do, I do know how that would go it would go poorly yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't go well we'd have we'd have subs in for the final four for the masters now it's it's a fun, exciting time of year. I've been sick. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get my body prepped for the next uh, for the next week or so. I'm leaving tomorrow, Friday, for Augusta for 12 days, uh, which is crazy. You're going to be there for a couple of them, but um, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about OSU and Master stuff in a second. First, I think we have something else we need to talk about. Yeah, I mean, um, once again. Eddie Sutton denied uh, induction into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. It's been a big talking point all week. I mean, I'd like to say I was surprised. I think I kind of believe this was the time he was going to get in. I think the Suttons were confident this was the year he was going to get in. I just, I can't believe that they, they continue to hold a grudge against this guy, which we'll discuss further. But my first instinct was just, wow. He's, he's never getting in, which I, I kind of thought maybe it was naive on my part. Maybe it was naive on the Sutton's part, but I thought he was getting in this year. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it feels like same story, different year. I, I don't know. I don't know why everybody was so confident about this year. Now, these are people who are more plugged in than you, you and I are obviously. So apparently there was reason for confidence, but what was that reason? And then what changed that? kept him out you know I I I don't I don't know kind of the intricacies there but you know the thing the thing that I was thinking about and this has been a talking point for a while is like who cares like you know like he he is who he is and like whether he has this plaque with his name on it which I think he will eventually does it really matter that much you know like I I think I think we get so worked up about you know halls of fame and these labels and all this stuff. And it's like, does that change? Like how many people he influenced, how many college athletes lives that he, you know, kind of affected and, and how many great teams he had? No, it doesn't like that doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything about his career. doesn't change anything about his teams, what he did as a coach. And so I don't know. I just, I can't like, it's dumb, it's silly, but I, I just can't get too worked up about it. Well, first, I think I was kind of surprised, and I think the Suttons were kind of surprised, because I think <laughs> I think it's obvious that, that Eddie, this is, might be Eddie's last opportunity to yeah. be inducted while he's, while he's on Earth. I mean, I, I hate to sound morbid, but that's just the reality. He's 83 years old, he's in, he's in poor health. 
I think just the cruelty of it. Yeah. To, to make him a finalist for the sixth time. Like, why do you keep making the guy a finalist and getting his hopes up and then denying him at the altar? That, that to me is, it's cruel. And to me, it's, it's, and you're right, Kyle. I don't think it, I don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things. I think that's the stance the Suttons have taken with their family statement. I think Barry Trammell wrote about that today that he doesn't need the Hall of Fame. And I certainly agree with that. But he also deserves his, his due. And it would mean a lot to him to be in the Hall of Fame. It would mean a great deal to his family to get to get to honor him, to get to spend a whole weekend honoring his career because he deserves that. And I think my biggest problem with this, I think a lot of people's biggest problem with this, is just the hypocrisy of it all. How, on one hand, can you induct Rick Pitino, Roy Williams, Jim Calhoun, Jim Beheim, John Calipari, and Larry Brown? All of those coaches, all, all six of them, have had serious NCAA investigations, many of whom before they were inducted. Not all of them. Patino's big scandal came after he was inducted in 2013. His big scandal happened in 2017, but he's still in. By the way, can and, we can we not induct people until their career's over? How about that? Yeah. Well, what's the rush? I, I never understood that. But are you effing kidding me that Jerry Tarkanian is in? And Eddie Sutton is this pariah? He's getting blackballed while all these coaches who have have had many issues with the NCAA. That's what bothers me. It's not the fact that, you know, that Eddie got in trouble at Kentucky and he had alcoholism problems. It's the fact that, okay, if, if you want to hold him out for that, that's your prerogative. But you can't allow all these other coaches in, too, who have had major issues as well. Maybe, in some of whom, what, way worse than what Eddie did. I mean, that, that to me is a joke. It's, it's, it's hypocritical. And I just think it's absurd. Like, how, how can that be? It, it just it makes no sense. And what it tells me, Kyle, this is my theory— you know, Eddie got in trouble at Kentucky. That was where the big probation with the NCAA happened. Obviously, and again, these Hall of Fame committee people are all anonymous. You don't know who's making the votes. It's clear as day to me that whoever carries the most weight in that room has serious ties to Kentucky. That is the only explanation you can have that Eddie Sutton is not in and that some of these other people are. That's the only explanation for me. Mm. Where do you stand on the... Uh like cheaters and and like people that were involved in scandals should be in like halls of fame Barry, the Barry Bond stuff yeah I mean put it on the plaque um, I mean Barry to me baseball is a little different in that they're, those are all performance issues uh, I think you can put Barry Bonds in and say look this guy his head grew three sizes because he took a ton of steroids and he started hitting 70 home runs. But he was a Hall of Famer before he did that. I think you can put that on the. I think you can put that on the plaque. That's that's like what the plaque should read. Yeah. So what what would Eddie what would Eddie's read? Eddie's would read one of the best coaches to ever step on a floor. All of his wins and accomplishments, Final Fours that we all know. And you can say he had his demons with alcohol, with substance abuse problems. He had a bagman at, at, at Kentucky, but name me a, a college coach who hasn't had a bagman. John Wooden included. Yeah, I mean, John John Wooden was cheating. Like, that's the thing that bothers me most. Like college basketball's foundation is on cheating. I know. I know. And it's like, yeah, it's it, it the, this, and it's all this stuff that you're like not allowed to talk about, right? Because like people know stuff and they don't say it, and and it's like, well. It, it it almost like paints Eddie or whoever as like the only person who did this. And it's just, like literally everybody knows that's not true. Like, ev- like everybody has, has done things like this. Now I, I I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not well versed enough in the details of 
the the Eddie scandal versus you know all the other whatever that goes on to to know like the nuances and the differences. But I just I'm with you. I think it's silly to kind of ignore um, to ignore that. You need to get that. Is that the is that Augusta? Is that Jim Nance calling? It might be. It might be. <laughs> yeah, and it just I I hate it for his family. I hate it for Sean Scott and all those guys because. And, and his former players, like it would be a great thing for his former players to go to the final four deal and, and honor Eddie for one, you know, and I guess his family was so confident they had booked flights to, to the final four. So it's just, that's, that's also, as I mentioned, the hypocrisy of it all, the, the sanctimonious BS that it is, but just quit, make, quit pretending you're even considering him by making him a finalist six times. That, that to me is just, it's just cruel to, to lead on an 83 year old man who's in poor health to put him through that, that, that to me is just disgusting. If I would have told you, um, back in November that there would be one Sutton in Minneapolis this week, what would you have said? Who, who would you have thought it would be? Um, probably Scott on the OSU staff, Mike Boynton making a magical run. (laughs) I certainly didn't think Texas tech would be, good enough to do that obviously i didn't think osu would be either but you know tech was picked like seventh and i think that's that's something we need to discuss because texas tech now just looks like a mirror image of those mid-90s osu teams those early 2000s osu teams in terms of defense and nba talent they have two guys that are gonna play in the nba this year um so i think i think chris beard obviously is just an otherworldly coach what he's done in a short time there just speaks for itself but I do think Sean deserves a ton of credit for the defense that they're playing. I don't think it's any mystery that once he got clean, all of a sudden he's one of the best assistant coaches in America now. And Glenn Cyprian's on that staff too, who also coached your with boy. Eddie. Your boy, your boy. I, I love, I love Sip. Love Sip. I've hung out with Sip. He's a great dude. Uh, but I don't think it's any mystery, or, or I don't think it's any coincidence that that Sean is is clean and and healthy and is helping Chris Beer get to where he is. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I went, I did the, I did the deep dive on tech and tried to see if there, you know, is this something that Oklahoma state could sort of replicate? And, and the thing that I found that I thought was, was pretty interesting was, so Chris Beard came in the same year that, uh, Brad Underwood did. He came to, he, he, he arrived at tech the same year Brad Underwood arrived at Oklahoma state. So that would be the year before Mike Boynton arrived at Oklahoma state and and Beard's actually somebody that I mentioned for the OSU job at the time, which is kind of funny to look back on. But you know, the thing that he had that Boynton hasn't had is that he got he got basically two years with his uh, kind of solid core of upperclassmen. So w- when Beard came into Tech, he inherited these. Um, it w- it would have been as if Boynton inherited Jeffrey Carroll and Mitchell Solomon as juniors instead of as seniors. And because of that, I feel like he was able to kind of uh, bridge the gap between the old tenure and, and his new one. And you know how he, he's done it in two ways, Carson. The first way, he's recruited two three-star guys in Zaire Smith and Jarrett Culver that are, uh, that are first-round picks, lottery picks, essentially. Uh, so, so two, three star guys. I mean, these are guys that are ranked like 300th in the country in recruiting. It's not like he's going out and getting top 20 guys. Uh, and then he's done it via transfers. Four of his top five scores this season are, were not recruited by him out of high school, uh, or excuse me, were not 
American high schoolers that were recruited by him. So one kid's from Italy, one kid transferred from Florida, uh, one from South Dakota. They're kind of all over the place. And I think it speaks to how tenuous a lot of this stuff is in college basketball and how quickly it can change. You know, you go out and tap the transfer market and get a, uh, a Kendall Smith. And all of a sudden you can, you can turn around a 12 and 18 team really quickly in a way that maybe that might not have been, might not have been as easy to do, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. I read your article. I thought it was, was really well put. And I, I did think a lot about, you know, what if Kendall Smith had an extra year? Yeah, yeah. Like what would that What would that season have looked like? And so, yeah, you're right. A lot of this is is circumstantial and what you inherit and how many years left. But I think you also spell it out pretty well that you know he made a lot of this happen with transfers. I think that's what Mike Boynton's trying to do. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that the Jarrett Culver thing is is pretty incredible. You he know, was you a, wrote the, he was the three star. I mean, it's it's like uh, he was a much worse recruit than say. Um, Isaac Likely, like a lot worse. Mitchell Solomon was yeah. a four star. Yeah. Um, he's ranked like 391, I think he wrote. I mean, that's that's incredible. But again, it's it's shades of what, you know, Eddie Sutton used to do. You know, yeah. big country big country was not even a, a recruit. I mean, he was I guess he was a he was a recruit. I'm not saying he wasn't a recruit, but he was a low three star, I would imagine. Maybe a two, because he was such a project. Yeah. Um and just that, you know, turning turning guys who are prospects into NBA players is something that Eddie Sutton did his entire career, and um, Chris Beard's doing it now. So I, I am optimistic about about Mike Boynton. It's just it's hard to follow. Like I know Kyle Boone is just on the recruiting trail. Dustin Ragusa is breaking down anybody that can transfer. Uh, I just it seems like your blog's doing a really good job covering it. I just I'm having a hard time following who's who and. And who they have a legit shot at? Who who do you think that they're most likely to land? Have you talked to Boone about this? Yeah, so I think right now what what looks like it's it could happen is there's a kid, and and maybe maybe this changes with with Buzz Williams going to A and M, but there's a kid that was um, committed to Texas A and M, Chris Harris Jr., who is from Texas, is tight with Isaac Likely. Uh, he's, I think he's a four star. He's in that like top 125, top 130 range, something like that. And he he decommitted from A and M once um, once they fired their coach. And it looks like a lot of people are predicting that he's going to come to Oklahoma State. So that would give them a how many do they have right now? Four. That would give them a fifth recruit for this 2019 class and kind of bump them into the top 20. So that's not necessarily a transfer, but it is another one of those you know, top 125, top 200 guys that, Hey, maybe that guy's a future NBA guy. I, I have no idea about, about this Harris kid, but maybe Marcus Watson's a future NBA guy. Maybe he's a Jarrett Culver type. You want to, you want to try to hit on as many, or you want to try to get as many of those guys as possible so that you can hit on one or two of them, have a star. And all of a sudden you've got some veterans in Cam McGriff and Lindy Waters around him. And, you know, maybe you can compete for the top half of the Big 12 next year. So that's kind of the guy that I'm looking at. And, and there's several other, I mean, there's so many moving parts. You got, uh, you got transfers from all over the country and it, it, it is hard to keep track of, but uh, I have a feeling that Oklahoma State's not going to come up empty handed over the next month or so. No. And I think the most optimistic um, outlook is when you see the pictures of, of Marcus Watson with the Boone twins. I think that he's a freak. 
Watson looks like he's like a sixth-year NBA guy. He looks like Cam McGriff's brother or something. Like, like his, or his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the dude looks like a grown man. Uh, I felt kind of bad for the Boons. You know, they're still kind of they're still kind of going through growing spurts and are pretty skinny compared yeah. to Mark. I'm, I mean, anybody's skinny compared to Watson, <laughs> but I mean, the Boone twins are pretty skinny. But I think that's intriguing too, how well Mike Boynton's recruited. So I think. It's been kind of depressing, Kyle, I don't know about you, but this is probably the least amount I've watched of the NCAA tournaments, the yeah. least amount of college basketball I've watched throughout a season. It's just kind of, we're kind of down right now, but I, I do think next year is going to be pretty exciting with what they have returning and then what, what he's recruited. So there is optimism there. It's not, it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. And I think even, you know, I know Marshall Scott wrote about this, but the, the Auburn comp, I mean, look at. Auburn's first couple years under Bruce Pearl, they were bad his first year. They got worse his second year, and now they've turned it around. And um, you know he's obviously recruited at a pretty high level. So you got to give it time. Um, you know I think it's still, I think there's still some question marks about whether Boynton is a. I think he's a good coach. Is he a great coach? I don't know. I think I think to prove some of that you have to take a really good team and make them even better than, than kind of the, what, what their parts say they are. Um, so hopefully we'll get a chance to see that over the next couple of years. Well, I think this year has masked how good of a coach he is. I think it's easy for us to forget after the season we just watched that this dude beat Kansas twice last year. Yeah. He, he went on the road at a really good West Virginia team that never loses at home back when, when at least when they were good. Uh, Mike Boynton, <laughs> he did a lot with, um, let's just say a little, uh, the year before. So I think it's easy to lose sight of that. And I still think he's a really good coach. Just, he's got to keep guys on campus. We've, we've talked a lot about that, but, um, he's got to keep them on campus. Yeah. The tech stuff has actually made me, I feel like more optimistic, which is kind of weird because they're in the same conference and competing against OSU, but it's made me optimistic for what I think Boynton is capable of doing. Yeah, and I, I made the point on this podcast a couple weeks ago that OSU was probably the the last ranked, the last program in the Big 12 in terms of trajectory where they're at currently. Well, TCU's about looks like they're about to lose Jamie Dixon to UCLA. That's so, crazy. So that would be that would be something that would help. Obviously, tech rolling does not help. But Bob Huggins had one of his worst years. So it's it's not as if as good as the Big Twelve was. There is definitely you know Oklahoma is going to be rebuilding this year too. I mean, there's there is definite room to to grow. Yeah. To, and to to climb the standings for sure. Uh, you want to talk about the QB race? Is it a race? Is it? Here, here's I don't, I don't think so. Here's the thing I was thinking about. So we keep we keep being told it's a race. Gundy's intent on playing the guy that um, makes the fewest mistakes, which I think is just, I don't know. I think it's kind of weak. I mean, I think you probably think the same. He's not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna bench the 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 uh, red shirt freshman, is he? Not if he doesn't want him to transfer. That's what. That's what I'm saying. Like if he if if Spencer Sanders is the backup to start the year, I mean I know it's this is something we could all like fans would say and and people would want to say well he can just work hard and stick it out. That's not how that's not how college football works anymore. If you're not the starting quarterback, you're you're going elsewhere. So is he gonna really gonna bench him for Drew Brown who he just 
blackballed last year. <laughs> so I'll use that term a second time on this podcast. I mean, I, I just I don't see it. I mean, if Costello comes in and beats out Spencer Sanders like handily, well then I, I think you got a superstar on your hands, I guess. But I just I can't see it, and I I do think it's important. Like as much as we would all like Gundy after spring practice or even during to say, look, Spencer's our guy. He's the franchise. He's our man. I do think it benefits not only Spencer Sanders but you know the program in general to keep that competition going all the way through yeah. August. Yeah, I think that only helps. You know, competition breeds you know success, and I, I just ha- anointing him. I don't think helps a ton. I, I do think it helps from a, I guess a leadership standpoint, but I think we all agree Spencer Sanders has already kind of taken over that role. Yeah, and I, I think I think it's a, it's a great point by you, and I and I think that you know if you if you if they're even close, I think you even if even if Brown's slightly better, I think you have to play Sanders because Brown's a little handcuffed. Like, what is he going to transfer in like October? Like, how you know he's in like his ninth year of college? Like, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work, and so you just you leave yourself really vulnerable if you think they're even close, but you, but you start Brown. And I just, I, I don't, uh, I don't see that happening. And then I think if you're Brown, you look back and you're like, why did, why did I come here again? Like what? I, I don't, that, that is still a mystery to me. Like, I don't know what he was told, what he thought or how he thought it was going to play out. But, uh, and and who knows? Maybe maybe he starts. Maybe he's the guy. But uh, I, I'm with you. I think it's I think it's being I think it's being said that it's a QB race for the sake of the program, for the sake of having a good backup, which as Gundy knows is incredibly important, and that eventually Sanders is going to be the guy against Oregon State. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm waiting for the the tell all burn it down interview from drew brown when his eligibility is up i think <laughs> i think that's coming if he just rides the pine for two years hopefully on this podcast that's a good point we have, we have to do that yeah sure start, um, start reaching out right now <laughs> but i the, the making fewest mistakes thing doesn't really bother me just because that's like what what every coach says uh whoever moves the offense and puts up points is going to be the starting quarterback um unless unless sanders just you know, just throws it with reckless abandon and throws as many interceptions as he does touchdowns. Well, then I think it's an issue, but I wouldn't put too much stock into that statement. That, that's, it's kind of like the point you made earlier in the, in the year, Kyle, where Gundy's kind of morphing into like Bill Snyder. He's kind of turning into this I old know, know. conservative coach as instead of the, <clears throat> the guns, the gunslinger coach that we know and love. He's even hiring Snyder's coaches. I think, I think the funny part is that, uh, People like national media, we've talked about this, like, like Kirk Herbstreet still thinks he's the gunslinger. <laughs> and it's like, have you have you been paying attention? Because they haven't gone for it on a fourth down in like seven years. They haven't faked a punt, actually faked a punt since like 2011, 20, 2009. I don't know. Um, Running so, power eye on fourth and one. <laughs> yeah. he's Yeah, he's going the other way. Um <laughs> Okay. Anything else on on the QB race, or do you want to talk Victor Hovland? Uh, we'll we'll talk Hovland just real quick. Just I think it makes spring football ninety percent more interesting when you have a quarterback race. I just oh, yeah. I'm just dis- I'm disappointed that 
Gundy continues to have a virtual practice instead of an actual game, especially when, you know, maybe he'll open it up this year and have a game. I'm, I'm dubious, but I think when you have a, a legit quarterback race that you need that game setting. I mean, we, I talk every, every year about the, the infamous Whedon Kate spring games and how it was just clear to everyone watching that Whedon was a better quarterback. So I, I would hopefully I'm not optimistic, but hopefully they have an actual game this year. Well, and selfishly, like I want to see Desmond Jackson. I want to see Thomas Harper. I want to see if Braden Johnson's really faster than, than Chuba. You know, I, I'd love to see some of this stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe you get some of it in the format that they're going to do, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I would, I would like for it to be more of a, an actual competition. Let's talk Victor. Uh, Victor Hovland. Uh, he is one of six amateurs to make it into the Masters field. And <laughs> you got the music for me? We're not going to get sued by, I guess, the National, are we? If I play this. It's on YouTube. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Um. He's one of I haven't counted the number of Oklahoma State guys. I think there's Fowler's in it, Charles Howell's in it, Kevin Tway is in it. Who else am I missing? Ewan's not in it. Oh, I had the list. Um I think there's five OSU golfers. Uh Hunter Mahan's not in it. Who am I missing here? It's somebody uh Oh, Alex Noren's in it. But uh, yeah. Hovland's the guy. I was I was doing the amateur research. I, I did the amateur deep dive, and he is just. I mean, he's by far the best am in the field. Like if he if he doesn't win low am, it will be a pretty big upset. And so I'm I'm really interested. He's so he's so seasoned, and he's such a. I don't know. He's such a veteran presence that it it would it would almost surprise me if he missed the cut which is a crazy thing to say about an amateur because you're not really supposed to make the cut as an am. But uh, I'm real. I'm like legitimately intrigued to see how he plays at Augusta. Well, don't they have in, in the masters, the easiest cut to make, don't they have the 10 shot rule? Well, yeah. And the, the field's small, you know, there, there's, right. there's, uh, there's 86 guys in the field right now. Uh, and in the top, uh, what is it? Top 50 in ties. I've, and anybody within 10 shots, I think, uh, makes the cut. So, um, yeah, but I think it's, it's intriguing too, because we've seen amateurs do really well at this tournament. It's not something that is just like a U.S. open where it's just an impossibility for an amateur to even make the cut or compete just because the conditions are so tough. I, I am interested to see, you know, cause Kyle, he, he abs like he didn't just win the U.S. amateur. He didn't trail a hole in match play, which is the most volatile form of golf. Like that's how consistent he was yeah. at Pebble Beach. Like he was far and away the best guy there. <clears throat> it wasn't it wasn't a case where he eked out anything. He just do- thoroughly dominated. Um, so, and he's been neck as much as we've talked about Matthew Wolf on this podcast. Victor Hovland's been right there, been just as good. He just yeah. hasn't won as many times. Yeah. Um, so I'm super intrigued. Um, who's going to be on the bag for him? Is it going to be Bratton? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I think Bratton's caddying for him. He caddied for him at the USAM. Mm-hmm. Bratton's caddied some stuff. I think he caddied for, uh, I think he caddied for Uline in the, in the, what masters was that? 11 maybe after he won the USAM. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, he, and it, it felt like whoever he was on the bag with at the national championships over the summer in, in Karsten 
did well, did really well. Yeah, and he, that, he, he walked with, uh, was it Ekrot or Wolf? Uh, he, he walked with both. He, he just kind of, I think he went back and forth between the two freshmen. Since they were freshmen, I think he wanted to kind yeah. of show them through that. And there's a great story in, in the last putt about Holder uh, thought he needed to walk with one of his nervy uh, players who, who let pressure get to him a lot. And he'd been working with them all year on that. Like He'd been putting like kind of faux pressure on him on a day-to-day basis. And he walked with him and shot the lowest score on the team walked with him again, shot the lowest score on the team. So, all right, he's good. I'm going to go over here. And the kid kind of blew up a little without him. And so in the final round, he walked with him again. So there, your college coach, I think, can have a very calming influence on you. So I thought that was interesting that he's going to be on the back for Hovland. And, and Wolf had George Gankus, his swing coach, on the back for him when he played in the, in the PGA event this year. And it was interesting, too. Wolf said not only he had his swing coach on the bag, but he didn't discuss his swing at all like he doesn't want him messing with his swing while he's playing yeah. so I, I, thought, I thought that was an interesting choice too yeah that's probably a good thing to not mess with your swing while you're playing a pga tour event um <laughs> no i'm i'm yeah I, I, it's just you know it's such a it's it's probably overdone but it's such a cool week for an amateur you know to go out there i'm sure he'll get to play practice rounds with you know fowler or rory or you know whoever and to just to get to hang out, it, it's it's an unbelievable week from the Sunday before until if you if you make it until Sunday afternoon uh, the the following week. So uh, it'll it'll be really fun following him around, keeping keeping track of what he does, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Do the amateurs still stay in the the crow's nest? You can you can if you want, and I think Hovland is going to stay there a little bit. I don't think he's going to stay there the whole time. Um, but maybe early in the week, like before the actual competition begins. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an, that's an option if you want it. What is that for the listener who may not know? Oh, it's, it's an area above the, uh, like at the very top of, I think it's above the clubhouse where, uh, it's like this small room where they just have a bunch of beds and, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a bathroom up there and you can, if you're an amateur, you're invited to basically stay on the grounds, uh, not leave the grounds. You just, you imagine that just rolling out of bed, walking down the stairs to the first tee at Augusta national. <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of how it goes. And, and I think that, you know, that's, that's part of the whole experience. I think tiger stayed there like in 94 or five, whenever he played his first master. So it's, he did, he did. Yeah. It's part of the, part of the whole deal. Yeah, it's tradition, unlike any other. So it's going to be. Yeah, I saw the the Karsten Pro Shop had some green uh, swinging Pete hats, some green swinging Pete shirts. I like that. I don't know if Chris's University Spirit has any of those or not, but um, that's going to be really cool if he if he rocks the green and orange. That'll be kind of, kind how, of fun. For how Masters nervous? Week. How nervous are you about the Masters uh, Pro Shop? Or not Pro Shop, but the merchandise tent. Uh, my, my accountant is very, very, very concerned. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to spend more in the pro shop than I did to get there. Oh yeah. That's, um, that's, yeah, for that's sure. Easy money. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more nervous, Kyle, about, I'm going to be walking on eggshells the entire time I'm there. Cause I'm worried about getting just kicked out for something stupid that I don't know is a rule or something. I'm just so on edge about doing something dumb <laughs> and getting my getting like a lifetime ban from Augusta. I have uh, I have left the so you can take your nobody cares about this but you can take your phone 
into the media center. Um, and, but you have to leave it there. Like when you go on the course. And so I, to get to the course, you have to take a golf cart. Somebody drives you to the course essentially. And I have been on the golf cart to the course and realized I have my phone in my pocket. Oh my God. And I, and I just, I just stayed on the, the cart until they got all the way back to the media center. Uh, oh my God. You don't, you don't want to be out on the course with your phone, but uh, what's your, uh, well, we'll talk about this in a second. Uh, speaking of Chris's university spirit, let's get to this week's OSU schedule. But brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Okay, Carson, we haven't done this in a while. Baseball uh, has West Virginia at home this weekend. Uh, Pete and Cavillia is returning for kind of a uh, it's kind of a year-long memorial to the history of OSU baseball, which is awesome. So Incavillia will be there this weekend. Marshall Scott's going to be covering some of that. Uh, we'll have Jackson Laverneway shooting photos. And that'll be fun. Uh, softball is at home against Kansas this weekend. And then men's golf at the Aggie Invitational starting on, I believe it starts on Saturday. Uh, so that's kind of the uh, kind of the schedule this weekend. But, uh, yeah, baseball is rolling a little bit. They uh, they look like they're going to contend for the Big 12. So that'll be that'll be kind of a fun thing to follow this spring. Yeah, they, uh, they had a walk-off win in Bedlam, <clears throat> Bedlam, which we hadn't discussed. That was pretty exciting. I, I saw they lost to, like, Central Arkansas on like Tuesday, which I thought was weird, but I think they're, they're definitely going to be contending for the big 12 and that's exciting. They were, they were ranked too early in the season. So I think Josh holiday just has done just such a good job trying to stoke the flames of, of the tradition and, and you know, the, the passion people have for the, the OSU baseball program. I mean, to bring Pete Incavillia back would be just, it's just going to be really cool to have him back on campus. Cause like there's no, you can't understate how good Pete Incavillia was. He was literally like the Babe Ruth yeah. in terms in terms of home runs of yeah. college baseball. So <laughs> you have to remind people of that, and uh, it's it's it'd be cool for people to get a chance to see him too. I just I just blown away at the job uh, Josh Holiday's done, and I think that it's reflected with the fact he's going to get a new stadium too. Yep, they're five and one in the Big Twelve, tied. Uh, with Baylor atop the Big 12 standing. So they swept K-State and then took two of three from TCU. Um, so that'll be be another opportunity against, you know, West Virginia is two and four in the Big 12. So West Virginia is not necessarily a, you know, they're 17 and 11 overall. They're okay. But, you know, you get another sweep, all of a sudden you're eight and one in the Big 12 early in the season. And uh, you got kind of a, a leg up on on potentially winning the conference. You ready for my one interesting thing? Uh, well, I am, but first, uh, let's hear one more time for Chris. Uh, excuse me, let's hear one more time from Chris's University Spirit. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986, and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise, and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson. I am, uh, I'm here for your one interesting thing. Well, it's not... 
it's not exactly that interesting or breaking news, but I, I did find it interesting to me that, that Buzz Williams took the Texas A&M job. You mentioned that you ta- you mentioned Chris Beard for the OSU job. I, I've wanted OSU to hire Buzz Williams since Travis Ford was the coach. Um, I think he's incredible. I think the job he did at Marquette speaks for itself. And he, he took over a Virginia Tech program that had never – I don't know if they'd ever been in the tournament, let alone won a game. I don't think they'd been in the tournament. And he got them to win a couple games in the NCAA tournament. The guy's just an incredible coach. And I think it's it's interesting with A&M, they just have so much money. You, you see them offering Jim, Jimbo Fisher and him accepting a, a $75 million contract over 10 years. They lure Buzz Williams. And I think it illustrates the importance of your athletic department having deep, deep pockets. Yeah. So A&M has made it perfectly clear that they're willing to spend big to win. And I think they made a great hire by hiring Buzz Williams. I think he's going to light it up. I think Buzz was kind of waiting for a job in this region. I think I think if Oklahoma would have offered him, he would have taken it. I think if Oklahoma State, same deal. He went to OCU in Oklahoma City. I think if Texas Longhorns had had come to their senses and, and hired him instead of Shaka Smart, I think he would have taken it. It just happens that A&M is the first one to offer. But their deep pockets certainly don't hurt. Yeah, it's a great hire for them. I think he's going to, I think he's going to be awesome there. I mean, I just uh, – He's awesome th- everywhere. He's awesome at a small uh, – Marquette, who's a really good basketball program, and, and at Virginia Tech, one of – I would argue one of the worst Power 5 jobs in, in a tough conference in the yeah. ACC, and he yeah. still lit it up. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good hire by Texas A&M. Uh, I don't – I actually don't have an interesting thing because we already talked about Hovland. Uh, that was him being the best am in the field. I didn't realize how much better he was than everybody else. I mean, obviously he's like one of the top three ams in the world right now, but there's nobody that's even really that like the, the other five ams in the field are just, they're, they're fine, but they're not, they're not even close to in his class. Uh, my question for you is going to be, what's your, what's your food plan at Augusta? Do you have, do you have every day mapped out? What are you going to do? I'm going to eat everything. Every day. I mean, <laughs> sounds I'm not like a it's, big, it sounds like it's going to go well. I'm not, yeah. I need to hit the gym before I go. But I, I've never been a big pimento cheese fan. I've only had like one of those in my life. And of course, it was not at Augusta. So I'm definitely going to have to try it. But what are my options here besides the pimento cheese sandwich? What other sandwiches are we rocking with here? Uh, we got the egg salad. Is very good. Eh. Um. Well, it, it's it's different because the the media center food is uh, just impeccable. I mean, it's unbelievable. The thing that's going to be dangerous for you is they have uh, peach ice cream sandwiches in the media center. Yeah, those just sound like heaven on earth. Yeah, it's not good. I I have to like make rules and regulations for myself. In and the, it's like it's like a two cookies is the sandwich. Yeah, with ice cream. Yeah, it's like, two sugar cookies and peach ice cream. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if my blood sugar can handle that. That's, <laughs> it's that's almost too much. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> uh, I'm, I am super excited to yeah, try it all. It's, it's gonna be a blast. Maybe, maybe we'll be able to save a pod from Augusta. That'd be pretty fun. Um, we should. But yeah, I'm headed out. You're headed out uh, here in less than a week. So I guess when we talk again, it will uh, probably be in Augusta. Sounds good. Cannot wait. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go rest the voice up, and uh, we'll talk soon. Honey tea. Do it. See ya. See ya.